This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. What is the world like today for the people who have frequently shocked, challenged and been at the forefront of changes that many see as outrageous? Are the rainbow people still changing their world for the better? I'm Malcolm Angus. Welcome to Outrageous, the program that investigates, supports and advocates for the rainbow people of New Zealand. Good day, listeners. This is Malcolm Angus once again with Outrageous. And I've been missing in action, I'm afraid. Um, For a while I had set up a couple of interviews, which unfortunately fell through at the last moment. I would like to start off just um, talking about... Dunedin Pride Inc. Um, I have an interest in this organisation because I am the Vice Chair of Dunedin Pride and I thought it would be useful just to talk about um, what Dunedin Pride is doing at the moment and uh, just talk about the committee itself. I joined the committee uh, at the beginning of the year after receiving an email that Dunedin Pride um, was having difficulty in maintaining a quorum on its committee. And um, it was a very interesting start to the year because a whole lot of people fronted up who had never been on a committee before. And um, I thought that perhaps my committee experience, my governance experience might be helpful, but I didn't want to be the old fart telling everybody else what to do. Um, So I have been on that committee now um, since uh, the beginning of the year, and I need to just say how wonderful it is working with people with no governance experience. who are so enthusiastic about the role they are playing and about what they see as the future of Dunedin Pride. I'm talking about some youngish people, compared to me, um, who have taken up roles that are totally alien to them and are doing uh, thoughtful and considered work to try and make sure Dunedin Pride achieves its vision and its annual goals. I don't want to talk too much about them because I hope to have some Dunedin Pride committee members come and talk themselves. Um, But, uh, and I have to also acknowledge that there are um, uh, two or three members from past committees or people who have been involved in past committees who are still working on the committee and they bring with them huge historical understanding of what has happened, what was achieved, what what wasn't achieved. And having them guide me as the vice chair has been hugely important for me to understand uh, what is possible with the committee now. The committee is in dire need of good funding. However, it does have funding for its work with the youth uh, in Dunedin, which is primarily where it is putting its resources at the moment. 
Um, but we are looking forward to um, having a youth ball, and that will be announced shortly. And then there will be um, recognition for a number of uh, communities representing uh, the rainbow people. Um, we will be having um, what we hope is a pride celebration, which will probably run for a week. Um, so just letting you know that I intend to interview um, some far more knowledgeable people about Dunedin Pride, but it is in working hard and we are meeting every second week as a committee, which uh, I believe is probably extraordinary for committees of not-for-profits. And this is how committed the committee members are to try and make sure that Dunedin Pride is up and running effectively. Every second week the committee is meeting and achieving uh, good decisions and making good progress. So just with that in mind, I just want to play now a short piece of music um, taken from Andrew Lloyd Webber and Sarah Brightman's CD. And I just thought this was a little bit of light-hearted uh, romance, and I'm all for light-hearted romance. The tune is called, or the song is called, Another Suitcase in Another Hall. Oh, oh. 
Sarah Brightman singing Andrew Lloyd Webber's Another Suitcase in Another Hall from Evita, a musical I have not seen and I didn't watch the film either. Um, but um, I do enjoy his, his compositions and I think he's a very clever man and of course Sarah Brightman has done uh, justice to his work often. I want to change this, the tune, if you like, now to something far more serious. Um, and it's really about almost an exam question, compare and contrast. When I was in Australia, the Royal Commission was being held um, for what they called um, in the uh, Royal Commission into the Institutionalised Care um, of Children. And here we have abuse in care, the Royal Commission of Inquiry. So if you like, compare and contrast is what we often had to do in exams. Um, I haven't really taken much notice of the abuse in care inquiry in New Zealand and the first thing I want to compare and contrast is why not? And it seems to me that this inquiry in New Zealand is almost um, unknown. Unlike in Australia where that uh, investigation, the Royal Commission there, was hitting the headlines of every major newspaper in every city every day. Um, not just because of the um, important information that was being discovered, but because the media seemed to see it as hugely important. The investigations, of course, were historical some going back an awful long time. And I want to just um, read out a statement that was put out by Scott Morrison in Parliament on the 22nd of October 2018. And this um, is unusual for Scott Morrison uh, in as much as... Um, it appears to be uh, hitting the nail on the head rather than prevaricating and waffling. 
He said the crimes of ritual sexual abuse, I'm not quite sure why he used the ritual sexual abuse, happened in schools, churches, youth groups, scout troops, orphanages, foster homes, sporting clubs, group homes, charities and family homes as well. It happened anywhere a predator thought they could get away with it. And the systems within these organisations allowed it to happen and turned a blind eye. It happened day after day, week after week, month after month and decade after decade. Unrelenting torment. When a child spoke up, they weren't believed and the crimes continued with impunity. One survivor told me that when he told a teacher of his abuse, that teacher then became his next abuser. Trust broken, innocence betrayed, power and position exploited for evil dark crimes. A survivor named X told the Royal Commission Nothing takes the memories away. It happened 53 years ago and it is still affecting me. One survivor, this time a woman, said my mother believed them rather than me. I also met with a mother whose two daughters were abused by a priest the family trusted. Suicide would claim one of her two beautiful girls and the other lives under the crushing weight of what was done to her. I can bring you up to date with that. The crushing weight, in fact, resulted in um, disastrous coping behaviours and that other girl died because of that. We can never promise a world where there are no abusers, but we can promise a country where we promise to hear and believe our children. I present the formal apology to be tabled in Parliament today. It reflects many of the sentiments that I have expressed on behalf of the Australian people Parliament and our government. That was in 2018. I want to just add to that something that was said at an address at the first memorial service for those victims who did die from the wounds of their abuse. And this is, again, compare and contrast. In both royal commissions, the issue of people dying from the wounds of their abuse has not been investigated and is not being investigated. And that I find outrageous. I want to read 
something that was said at the first memorial service to be ever held for those who died from the wounds of their abuse. Lord, we are here to remember, to remember and reflect on the lives of those who were abused as children and did not survive the wounds of their abuse. Many were sexually abused, many were emotionally abused, and many were physically abused. Many carried the wounds of all three forms of abuse. They were abused as tiny children, they were abused as older children, and they were abused as teenagers. We know they were abused by those who should have been their protectors. They were abused by men and women who took advantage of their vulnerability and innocence. Now, the issue of those who died from the wounds of their abuse has been a powerful one for me for personal reasons. And I decided that I would have a look at what was happening in New Zealand as the Commission wends its way through the islands of New Zealand. And the best place to go to is the websites of the various organisations that have been asked to appear before the Royal Commission. And I have to say that it is, at the moment, a disappointment to find that um, reporting historical abuse is still not easy. But I also have to say that I am heartened by the fact that next week I will be meeting with the Bishop of Dunedin to discuss this matter with him. And I believe him to be more than open to meeting with and discussing the issue with the survivor of abuse, which is what I am. And I'm looking forward to that meeting, and I will report on progress um, with regard to this matter. Because for me, if you are going to address the issue of historical abuse, or any abuse, in fact, whether it's historical or present, then it is important to have one principle always at the front of your mind, and that is do no further harm. Because if I'm comparing and contrasting, in Australia, the first the institutions did in trying to um, investigate, I don't want to use that word to certainly, because often the investigation was in fact a cover-up, but the major institutions in Australia did nothing but further harm to those who had suffered abuse and were living. The harm they did was because, first of all, they denied it was ever possible. Secondly, they then tried to silence those who brought forward their issues. And let me say that across both 
countries, New Zealand and Australia, the issue of abuse is still referred to as a complaint, like a customer complaint. Do you have a customer complaint? It is never referred to as a crime, which I find extraordinary. But I also see that calling it a complaint is one way of verbally minimising the issue in the minds of everybody. We are open to hearing complaints. Well, the church was cold today and my feet were freezing is a complaint. I couldn't use the gent's toilet because the door was locked is a complaint. I couldn't get through on the phone is a complaint. To be sexually abused is a crime and one doesn't go to the police station to record a complaint. One goes to report a crime. And I have to say this has always angered me that the use of language has been very clever throughout this worldwide discovery of abuse. It has always been seen as a complaint. One day I hope that will change. People will be encouraged to report a crime. And in doing so, that very word change will lift the game of everybody. The reactions will be different. There will be no loss of records. There will be no mysterious disappearances of files. Because that is what has happened in Australia, and I hope it hasn't happened in New Zealand, because I really haven't done very much investigation. But it does seem to me that um, in following this in America, in the United Kingdom, in Ireland, in Australia, the loss of files has been very handy for those organisations that perpetrated abuse. Very handy. Um, because if you had no records, then nobody could actually prove very much. And certainly no records were clearly kept of complaints of abuse, historical complaints of abuse. They also disappeared. Um, so this is something that I hope will not happen in New Zealand, is not happening in New Zealand, but I've yet to have a look at the um, transcripts of what has been going on in New Zealand with its Royal Commission into Abuse in Care. I will also be interviewing a man who I find very important in the lives of abuse victims. And he is the manager of male survivors of abuse, Michael Chamberlain. And he has agreed to be interviewed by me for this program. So I hope that I have aroused your interest in this subject because, as I said at the beginning, the media seems to be almost oblivious to the fact that this major inquiry is taking place. And if I will contrast and compare, in Australia it was completely different. As I said, every day there were headlines 
as to what the Royal Commission over there was discovering, and in New Zealand there appears to be virtually nothing reported. It is though nothing is shocking enough in New Zealand. Um, and that I find really sad because abuse of children lasts their lifetime just as the love of children lasts their love lifetime. So with that, I'm going to end today's recording. I'm sorry that um, if uh, I'm sounding a bit frustrated, I am, but I do look forward to my meeting with the Bishop of Dunedin next week, and I believe that there will be good outcomes from that meeting. Um, I believe that because in already talking to a member of the staff there, I have received empathy and I have received understanding and I have received honesty. And on those three things, I think progress lies. There has been no defensiveness. There has been no resistance. There has simply been openness to the issue. So this is Malcolm Angus signing off on Outrageous Today and um, I will continue with this topic, as I've said, um, first of all reporting back on my meeting, but also I will be interviewing Michael Chamberlain, and I also hope very differently to have a member of the Pride Committee, Dunedin Pride Committee, talking about the progress Dunedin Pride is making from their point of view, having sat on the, on the committee earlier in um, a previous year. That's it for now. Thank you very much for listening and I wish you a good weekend. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.